0: We want to welcome you today, uh, man, I hope you've had a great week since we were together last. Uh, today we're finishing up our sermon series on the death of selfie, which we're going to uh, finish up with all of me. Uh, if you have your Bible today, if you'll turn to the book of 2 Timothy, I hope the Lord will give you a great word for this message. Today. This morning as we draw a, to a close, this sermon series on all of me, I believe it, there's a, probably one of the most difficult messages yet to be able to process. And uh, it's really where we come to, to the place where we make the decision on what we're going to do. You can be back and forth. Uh, We uh, are in our political season where we are voting for elected officials and um, we can be indecisive. Uh, who we want to vote for and you can check them out and this and that and I've been a indecisive person and uh, but this week I voted so I had to make a decision there was no I can no longer be indecisive I had to make a choice I can no longer debate it any longer and so for a couple of months now we've been looking at this concept of what does a death of selfie truly mean and Today is the day of decision. What will it be? And as we look at this, it's not only the death of me and the life of me, but it's all of me. For when we get to the point in our life where Christ, where we understand the death of me, which is the life of me, then there will be no problem with him having all of me. Are you with me? However, many people, I, I, I was thinking about as I was preparing for this sermon uh a, I remember a long time ago this couple It was Jack and grace and Jack and grace it, it, it reminded me so much of this sermon today because they met, and um boy Jack really was just intrigued by grace, and it was almost love at first sight and and the more that Jack began to understand about grace the more he loved her and and jack and grace during this time period went from seeing one another every now and then to seeing each other a lot more frequently to almost being inseparable like every day spending time together so then it came to the point where Jack decided that he wanted to make it official and enter into a covenant relationship with grace. And so Jack came forward, put on for a public display all the love that he had for grace. And grace responded to the desire of Jack uh, so lovingly and so eloquently. So so uh, unjudge- without judgment. And man, their relationship just went to the next level, and man, great things began to happen in their relationship, and then all of a sudden one day, Grace began to notice that that Jack didn't call as much, and didn't spend quite as much time as he once did with Grace, And, and, and they began to just kind of drift apart. Unto the point where all kind of other things were now coming in the place of grace. And Jack began to be involved with many other things. And he began to invest time and resources into other things. And all of a sudden grace was no longer an object of his affection. So much that they reached a point of separation where Jack went one way and grace went the other Now, you know, that's probably a very familiar story in the day and age that we live in. But the only difference with this story is that Jack is a man, but grace was the church. Grace was not a physical woman, but she was the church. For you see, that's how many of us are in our relationship with Christ, is that we began to be intrigued with the concept of grace. We love grace. We're inseparable with grace. But then something else separates us. Something else separates us from the bride of Christ. What is the bride of Christ? The bride of Christ is the church. Now, the church isn't your your key to heaven. It's a, a part of the pathway. But the reason that people no longer love the church is because they just kind of fall in out of love with Jesus For you see, when you really and truly love somebody with all of your heart, I mean you overlook the, the, the hang-ups. I mean, when you love them and you love them and you're in, in, enthroned, you're just so engulfed with everything about them, all of a sudden you began to kind of go a different. It doesn't matter what their hangups are. And so today, as we look at this all of me, I think it draws to a conclusion. Where are we with Christ? Find out where you are with grace and you'll find out where you are with Christ. Look with me, if you would, in a very familiar passage of Scripture. It's found in the book of 2 Timothy. It's 2 Timothy chapter 4. And we're going to look at this very clearly. Chapter 4 and verse 1. But God and Christ Jesus, who is going to judge the living and the dead, by his appearing in his kingdom, I solemnly charge you to proclaim or preach the message, preach the gospel. Persist in whatever convenient or not rebuke or not rebuke correct and encourage with great patience and teaching for a time will come when they will not tolerate sound doctrine but according to their own desires will accumulate teachers for themselves because they have an itching ear they want to hear something new they will turn away from hearing the truth and they will turn aside to myths as for you. Keep a clear head about everything. I want you to endure hardships. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure is close. For I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. In the future there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord The righteous judge will give to me on that day, and not only to me, but to all those who love his appearing. Make every effort to come to me soon, for Demas has deserted me, because his love for the present world has gone to the Thessalonians. Cretus has gone to Galatians, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me, and oh, by the way, bring Mark with you, for he is useful to me in the ministry. I have sent Titus to Ephesus. When you come, please bring my coat that I left in Troas with Cyprus and as well as the scrolls, especially the scrolls, of parchment. Oh, and don't forget about Alexander the coppersmith. He did great harm to me. And by the way, the Lord will repay to him according to his works. Watch out for him yourself because he strongly opposed our words. At my first offense, no one came to my assistance, but everyone deserted me. May it not be counted against them, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the proclamation might be fully made through the Gentiles and might hear. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth, and the Lord will rescue me from their evil work and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever amen paul was writing some of the last words that he would ever write paul many times looked death right in the eye but knew that it wasn't his time because he knew that god wasn't finished with him yet and he knew that the time of his departure was not at hand for you see paul had died to himself matter of fact he wrote these words i die daily Paul wrote these words that we've looked at, I have been crucified with Christ, yet I live. Matter of fact, for this whole sermon series, we have looked through the life of Paul, what the life of Christ looks like. Paul understood the death of himself, Paul understood the life of himself, and he also understood what it meant to have all, for someone to have all of himself. See, many of us are spread so thin because we try to give ourselves to so many. And when we think about this, Paul says, I want you to know the time of my departure is at hand, and I am already being poured out as a drink offering. When we think about that phrase, poured out, it it normally gins up the connotation or thoughts of waste. You know, when you're going through the drive-thru, you're pouring out the remnants of the previous trip through the drive-thru really am I the only one that happens to I mean that can's not full at the end of the drive-thru for nothing it's to deposit what you had at the previous pit stop and so many times you will see this in the drive-thru people will literally be emptying pouring out beverages on the 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 walk or something to throw them away or discard of them or something or another I remember the first concept we we don't realize how much we pour out Think about how many times you get out of your vehicle and you take a can of Coke or water or something and empty it to throw it in your trash. Pour it out. Think about how many times you empty or pour out a meal or something on the ground. Boy, one of the most shocking things and a hard part to get across to people who go to our church in Peru from here is don't pour out anything. There's dogs everywhere, and so by our human nature, we're just like, well, I don't want any more of this, so I'll give it to the dog. But over there, it's almost an offense because that's something they need. There is no waste. There is no pouring out. In our American culture, though, we just pour out is thought to be wasted if you pour something out. Are you all with me? You just pour it out. But Paul says, I am already being poured out. Matter of fact, if you read over in another passage when he's writing to the church of Philippians, to the church of Philippians in chapter 2 in verse 17, he says, but even if I am poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice of your service of your faith, I am glad and I will rejoice with all of you. What is a drink offering then? The drink offering goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 35 when Jacob had his vision there and it says that he offered a drink offering at that place and he poured oil out upon a rock and then he poured a drink offering out upon it. In the book of Exodus in, in chapter 29 there goes into the, almost the greatest detail about a drink offering is any other offering. You see for in the Bible there were many offerings that had been was giving there was the offerings of lambs, there was the offerings of rams, there was the offerings of birds, turtle doves, there was the grain offerings, there was the, 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 the baked bread offerings there was all kind of offerings in the Old Testament. But in Exodus chapter 29, it teaches us about the drink offering. And it's talking about when they're consecrating Aaron and his sons and they're making the preparation and they're offering a sacrifice every day in preparation for the atonement to be made. And it says, at, when all of this is done, it says, gather together, uh, gather together a little flour, gather together a little oil, and gather together a little wine wine, and mix it together and pour it out on the offering and be the drink offering now everything about the offerings in the old testament had a purpose Everything had its place. Everything had its order that God had placed it in. And the drink offering came last. And you know something? The drink offering really had no other purpose than to bring about a pleasing aroma to the King of Glory, to the presence of God that was symbolic that the sacrifice had been made, the payment had been made, the atonement had been made, and when the atonement had been made and the aroma came sweeping up into the air it would be a pleasing aroma unto God. We listen to that and it talks about offering the offerings, offering the drink offerings. And then Paul is the one who brings it forward in the New Testament. Now just like everything that God has done that is good and holy, the pagans and the devil has tried to mimic or distort And so there is a pagan twist to the drink offering. Matter of fact, in the book of Psalms, chapter 16, I think it is, it talks about, I will not offer a drink offering of blood. Be clear about this. The Greeks had a perverted way of of a drink offering that was contrary to the biblical drink offering. But here's what Paul said, writing from a prison to the church of Philippi and the church of Philippi from a church in Rome where they was waiting to throw him into the arena to be devoured by lions, he says, I am being poured out as a drink offering. Now, when we look at Paul here, there's a couple things that he wants you to understand about the highlights of his ministry. First of all, Paul pours himself out as a drink offering on the sacrifice of his own faith. Matter of fact, you remember what it said just a couple of Sundays ago? We looked at it in Romans chapter 12. I call you, therefore, I beseech you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, you present yourself as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to the world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. So the difference in the Old Testament sacrifice and the New Testament sacrifice was Jesus became the Lamb of God, and we are called to be a living sacrifice. The Lamb of God gave his life once and for all to be the payment for all of sin, but you and I now are called to be a living sacrifice. You remember what it said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse 15, Therefore, if one died for all, then all who die shall live for the one who died for all. So therefore, as we're called forward, and when God's telling us that he wants all of us, here's what Paul is saying, that I have chosen to be a drink offering. I am offering myself as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. And every sacrifice needed a drink offering. Therefore, I am also being poured out upon the sacrifice of my faith. Look at what Paul said. I'm not making this up. We just read it. He says, I have have fought the good fight. I have fought I have fought, I have fought. He's done battle. If you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, you can see the track record of all the battles that Paul fought. All the times that he was stoned, all the times that he was abandoned, all the times that he was beaten, everything about the perils of countrymen, the perils of strangers, perils of the night, perils of the day, perils of the deep, perils all around, Paul lists all of the fights that he fought. But Paul said, I want you to understand something. And my fighting was not in vain because I wasn't fighting for the victory. I was fighting from the victory. Therefore, I was pouring my life out as a drink offering on the sacrifice of my faith in Jesus Christ. So that when I do something, there's nothing of me left. Matter of fact, Paul says, I have fought. I have kept the faith. I have not wandered away. I have not been like Jack who left grace. I have remained faithful. I am as in love with grace. I am as in love with Christ today as I was today on the day I first met her. Met him. Today what God is saying in our hearts and lives is he's calling us forward. And he's saying what I want you to do is I want you to be like. I want you to fight the good fight. I want you to keep the faith. I want you to finish the race a mentor of mine who is well in his years when we pray for each other every time I say pastor what can I pray for you about and he said just pray that I finish well Just pray that I finish well, that after all these years of being faithful, after all these years of preaching, after all these years of praying, after all these years of ministering, pray that I don't fumble before I finish. How frustrating that would be to get down to the last line, the last mile and walk away. Pray that I will be faithful to the finish. Pray that I will finish my race. Paul writing from a prison he knows this is the end of the road he knows that Nero has it out for him he knows that his day is coming and here's what he says I want to tell you young preachers something I'm telling you that the time will come when men will not endure sound doctrine they will have itching ears they will have a feel-good believism they will want you to tell them something they will want a new gospel they will want a new way because the old way that says come and down that you may come and live will no longer be sufficient because before you can have life there must first be a death and man is too prideful to die to himself therefore he will never experience the life of himself therefore the preaching of the cross will be foolishness it will make men gnash at their teeth it will make them foam at the mouth it will make them come after you but you young preacher boys don't you let up don't you give in preach the word is what he's telling young Timothy. Don't give up. Sounds a little familiar, doesn't it? I mean, just in the last couple of weeks, all the issues of preachers being challenged over sexual atheisms, se- sexual atheists. And what in the world is a sexual atheist? It's people who profess to be believers that have... No longer believe in the sin of sexualism. And you can just have that any kind of way you want. You can live any kind of way you want. God doesn't have any much expectations. He's so desperate. We think God is so desperate. He's so desperate for children that he'll just let you live however you want to live. By whatever standard you want to live by. Just so he can say you're with him. Oh, he wants you to be with him. But my brothers and sisters, let me tell you something. The timeless treasure of the word of God is unchangeable. It's infallible. And regardless what happens in the world of sexual atheists, where we no longer believe that that's a sin, and it is running rampant, that we hold to the unchanging gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul said, I want you to know something. When it was popular, I preached the gospel. When it was unpopular, I preached the gospel. When they were praising me, I preached the gospel. When they were stoning me, I preached the gospel. When they were making me face down the lions, I preached the gospel. I didn't let up. I didn't give in. I stayed faithful. I have fought. I have kept. I have finished. And I'm being poured out. I Pour myself out. I empty myself. I'm not wasting myself. I'm emptying myself. Not only was he willing to be poured out. On his own living sacrifice. But Paul was willing to be poured out on the sacrifice of others. We read it in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 17 a while ago from the Roman prison. He wrote back to the baby church of Philippi. And he says, hey guys, let me tell you something. If I am being poured out on the sacrifice of your faith, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay for me to be poured out on somebody else's sacrifice. What's interesting about Paul is that he was willing to be poured out on the sacrifice of people who he loved and those that had forsaken him. Look with me, if you would, right here in the book of Timothy. I mean, he goes a little bit further in this passage of Scripture and he, he, he says, Some forsook me, some stayed with me, but all received my sacrifice. I mean, he lays it out. He says, Make every effort to come to me quickly in verse 9 because Demas has deserted me. Oh, and And bring back John Mark with you. He was a deserter at one time. But Paul writing from his prison cell says go and get him and bring him with me. Because he's good. He's useful for the ministry. Do you see that in your Bible there? Do you see that there where he says go and bring John Mark. Bring Mark with me for he is useful to me in the ministry of the kingdom of God. Paul was willing to be emptied. Now this was a great strife and a great controversy that Paul and Barnabas set what separated and went different ways earlier in their ministry. But now Paul says, "I want my life to be emptied. I want my life to be emptied on people like John Mark. I want my life to be emptied like people of Demas who deserted me because the lure of the present world was greater than the appeal of heaven. I want my life to be emptied. Church of Philippi, if my life is being poured out on your sacrifice of your faith, I'm okay with that. I'm okay if I'm being poured out. I'm okay if I am being emptied. I'm okay if I am disappearing. The thing about the drink offering was it was nothing tangible left. Because when they poured the drink offering out on the hot, brazen altar, when the water would hit it, when the wine and the flour mixed together would hit it, it would just evaporate and there would be a steam that would rise up off of the altar and it would just vanish into thin air. Here's what Paul is saying If my life is vanishing on the sacrifice of my faith over what I'm doing for the kingdom of God, then what I'm doing in the world, that's okay with me. I live my life with no regrets. I don't live my life looking back and saying, oh boy, if I'd have stayed with the Jews, I'd have been better off. If I'd have stayed doing this, I'd have been better off. If I'd have used my education in another way, I'd have been better off. He says, no, I have no regrets. I am being poured out. I am willing to disappear in the work that I've done for the kingdom. Now that's hard to swallow. It's hard to swallow to pour your life out on people who will reject it people who will walk away, people who like Demas that you'll invest in that will go a different direction, go back and serve the world. It's hard to pour your life out on people like John Mark that you had so much hope in and you thought, boy, this is the one, and then he didn't work out the way you thought. It's hard to keep pouring out. It's hard to keep emptying. It's hard to keep investing and emptying of your life that it might disappear upon the sacrifice of somebody else's work because once you pour it out, you have no other control over it. And we like to have a little control over it. Paul says, I am willing to be poured out. Can I tell you one of my greatest fears? You say, Pastor, what's one of your greatest things that makes you anxious? One of the greatest things, this is weird. It's a personal confession. I've never told anybody this, so here it is. For all the world to know. One of my greatest fears is that I will have invested my life in all the places that I've served, all the places that I've ministered, and when I die, there will be nobody there. That's one of my greatest, one of my greatest things that makes me anxious. You said, well, that's weird. Paul says when you die, if you've emptied your life on the sacrifice of your faith, of others' faith, it doesn't really matter. He says, I'm here all by myself. All have forsaken me. But understand... Understand, Timothy, the reason that I was willing to empty my life in my own faith, the, willing, the reason I was willing to empty my life on somebody else's sacrifice is because I had already emptied my life on the altar of Christ Jesus and understand something, that he never forsook me, that he never forsook, forsaken me. Look at it in the Bible right there. It says very clearly, when all forsook me, there was nobody at my defense, he says but the Lord verse 17 but the Lord stood with me the Lord strengthened me so the proclamation might be fully proclaimed through me he rescued me from the mouths of lions and he will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom to him be the glory forever and ever Amen. Paul said you know why I was okay because the first place that I was poured out Was not on my own work. Not on my own faith. Not on my own sacrifice of ministry. It was not on the sacrifice of the Philippian church. It was not on the sacrifice of John Mark or Demas or Timothy or anybody else. But you see, I died to myself when I met Christ Jesus. He said, you remember I wrote the church of Galatia and I said, For I have been crucified with Christ, yet I live. See, on that day I emptied myself. Therefore, anything that there was left of me, I was willing to give it to be all of him. All of him. So we've gone through this sermon today. If there's any way that God is speaking to your heart, and there's a way that we can help facilitate that, uh, you being all that God wants you to be, I want you to know it's our greatest joy and our greatest honor, our greatest desire. Family of Grace, if we can help you take that next step, we'd love to do that. Just reach out to us. uh, be glad to be a blessing and help you reach your destiny and be able to fulfill what God has to you. May the Lord richly bless your heart. we we'll meet again next week.